How many of you like a comeback story? You like a good comeback story? Right, this weekend at Bay Hill, there's a guy that's trying to make a comeback. Anybody know his name? Who? All right. Tiger. The only guy's name, I know a couple of the guys, but just about the only guy's name that most people know in professional golf is Tiger Woods. I mean, he tips the meter. Uh, this weekend, he's at Bay Hill. There'll be 50,000 people there. And whatever hole Tiger Woods is teeing off on, there'll be 50,000 people there. I saw Tiger Woods a couple of years ago, and literally you had to get three holes in front of him if you actually wanted to see him tee off. I mean, he's the guy that drives the game. The last 25 years, his name has been synonymous with golf. He drove the, I mean, he caused all the young people today that are involved in golf to play golf. He's made more money than anybody's ever played, but he had a little of a downturn. Isn't that right? Had a little bump in the road, and name became famous for other things besides playing golf and a lot of pain. And actually, for about the last five years, he hasn't won a tournament. But we love comebacks. We love comebacks. I have my own comeback story. Uh, about a month ago, uh, I, I play the, the little credit card game. I know if you're a Financial Peace University person, we're not supposed to have credit cards. I do have a credit card, I must confess. But I pay it off every month. I've had a credit card for 30 years, and I've always paid off the full balance every single month, and so I have very good credit. I've been a good steward of the resources. When I made very little, I always tithed, gave the Lord the first 10%, gave the missions, and whatever else I had left, God enabled us to live life, and it's the grace of God has been on, upon our lives. But uh, I decided to, there was a little new credit card that I saw that came up that gave me a few more points, and, and so I decided to fill out the application to see what would happen. Now, good credit score. Everybody say, good credit score. Good guy, Eugene. No problems. I get this letter back. All right. Uh, got my name in here. Dear Eugene Smith, thank you for your interest in our Chase Sapphire car, blah, blah, blah. Uh, at this time, your request has been denied because you are deceased. I'm dead. I'm not even supposed to be here. All right, Pastor Glenn, come on up here and preach. Finish this message. I feel like Mark Twain who once said that the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I made a comeback. I'm here this morning. No longer deceased. True story. You know, the fact is not everyone makes a comeback. Not everyone makes a comeback in life. We're in a, a, a four-part series entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. In the first week, I talked about the hard saying of Jesus being the only way. Jesus being the only way. It, it's narrow. It's not politically correct. In a culture of plurality, saying that there's only one way to God, only one road to eternal life, to say that, it's like, oh, just, it's not popular, it's not acceptable. But Jesus meant it when he said it. He was the only way to eternal life. Last week, Pastor Glenn talked about what? Poke your eye out, chop your hand off. Tough message, tough message. Uh, we, we didn't have anybody do that last week, so we had a victory. But it was, uh, it was Jesus is being serious about sin. Jesus said some really hard things. The parables that Jesus said, they were difficult, but they were very pointed. And they were to shock people. They were to get their attention to the reality of a life apart from God. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you on the topic of the unpardonable sin. This is not a popular preaching point in our culture today. 
As a matter of fact, in all my years, almost 25, 30 years of pastoring full-time, I've never spoken just on this topic alone. Jesus spoke very, very pastorally. Jesus was the great shepherd. He came to comfort people, to encourage people. He came alongside of them. He actually calls out in the book of Matthew, come unto me, all oh, you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're burdened and you're weary, you're tired, come to me. We love pastoral Jesus. It's the prophetic part of Jesus that gets a little more complicated. The words of Jesus, very powerful, very pointed. They are spoken to shake you and to shake me. They're spoken to shake you and to shake me. It's a very sober message today. If you have your Bibles, even if you don't have your Bibles, if you've got your phones, however you read the Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter, tw- Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read 31 and 32 for emphasis, but I'm actually going to walk us through this moment of Jesus' life beginning in Matthew 12, verse number 22. I want you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse number 31. And Jesus said, and so I also tell you, this is Jesus. This, everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Son of God, God in flesh, Amen. right? God with human skin on came and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. So I tell you, every manner or every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Every kind. Everyone said hallelujah. Come on, thank you, Jesus. But, here's the but. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse number 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son. So people that curse Christ, people that use God's name in vain, people that say terrible things about Jesus, people that make horrible art about Jesus, will be forgiven or can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the, come on, who? The Holy Spirit Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or this life or in the life or the age to come. Jesus really meant it when he said there's an unpardonable sin. Jesus really meant it when he said there's an unpardonable sin. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray not only for us today, but we're going to pray for friends family members, co-workers, people in your sphere of influence who are outside of faith, that God would give you the boldness to witness and to share his love and to invite them to a resurrection service in two weeks. Will you join with me as we pray? Father, in these next few moments, thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are here not only to comfort us in our time of weakness, but you are to convict us when we go astray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so real. Your presence is so real and evident today, and we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in this room, that you give them spiritual ears to hear, spiritual eyes to see, but also boldness of mouth to share. Lord, to share your love and your grace, coworkers, friends, neighbors, those who are outside of faith, those who, who are on the bubble, maybe those who have tasted but have drifted away. God, that this resurrection weekend at City Church will be the most powerful. So many will say yes. Hundreds and hundreds we're believing will say yes to you. Say yes to coming back home. God, I'm asking right now for a visitation from heaven. Touch us today, Lord. Now, Lord, give me a mouth to speak. Lord, I need you today. I can't communicate this message without the empowerment of your spirit. So use me in every word that I say 
I ask this in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Jesus' ministry. He was in a three-year period. This is about the first year of Jesus' ministry. And things are really starting to heat up. I mean, he's rocking the spiritual world in Jerusalem, Judea, around that area where Jesus was ministering on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was preaching the gospel. He was preaching good news. He was telling people to turn to God. We use the word repentance, which just, mean, which just means to turn from evil, to turn towards God. For the kingdom, the power, and the presence of God is here. He was serious. He was on a mission. And as a matter of fact, this mission was confirmed by signs and wonders. If you look at verse number 22, you'll see an awesome miracle take place. You'll see the kind of thing that Jesus did that caused thousands and thousands of people to gather on a hillside to hear him teach and to see him work signs and wonders. Verse number 22, the Bible says, Then they brought him, Jesus, a demon-possessed man. Now, we don't like to talk about demon possession in our culture today. It's, it, it, you know, it, we seldom see it. But I find it interesting that almost every time that I've gone into another country to preach the gospel, I've encountered demonic manifestations in the service. I, I'm almost every single time when I was in Cuba a couple of years ago, I, I remember as I gave the altar call, there was a woman. She was all bound up and she came and she almost attacked me. Like she just grabbed my arm and she was all completely contorted. The devil is real. I know in our culture, he dresses up in, in, in a tuxedo, and he looks so suave and smooth, and it looks so beautiful, but he's a liar. He's a father lie. He wants to bind people up. He wants to destroy their life. They brought him a demon-possessed man, a man who was blind and mute, and Jesus did what? Jesus did what? He healed him. A man who had no sight, a man who could not hear sound. A man who was not sane in his mind was healed by Jesus. Now, a lot of people want to leave the miracles of Jesus back in another generation. They want to leave, oh, that was in Jesus' day. He doesn't reveal himself like that. I want you to hear this today. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's come to set the captive free. You see, when Jesus came to planet Earth, when Jesus came, he came to demonstrate his power over the enemy. You know what motivated Jesus? Compassion. The words that Jesus just spoke, they were motivated out of compassion and love. The love of God. It was the compassion. When he saw this man all messed up, all bound up, all addicted, all broken, his heart was moved. His heart was moved. Jesus' heart is moved today. He's the God full of compassion. He didn't say these words because he was trying to send people to hell. That's not his motive. That's not his desire. God loves people. Jesus came. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But there are consequences. In a culture today that rejects the reality of a narrow way, where everyone's going to get, go to heaven, and there's no judgment for doing wrong. 
Jesus is throwing that to the wind. He's given us a caution. He's given us a very pointed word. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came, the Bible says in the book of Colossians, he came to disarm and to publicly shame the devil. In Colossians chapter 2, verse number 15, in the New Living Translation, the Bible says, in this way, he, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them. He shamed them. When Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, the, the background of the church of Colossae is that this whole region, the whole known world in their day, had been captured by the Romans. The Romans were the most powerful military might that the world had ever put together up to that time. They were powerful people. They would go in and they would conquer their enemies. And the soldiers that were alive, specifically the generals and the leaders, they would chain them up. They would bind them. And they would literally drag them through the streets to show who was victor. The Romans were victor. The Romans were conquered. When Jesus came, he came to disarm spiritual rulers and authorities. He came to shame them. And when he was nailed to Calvary's tree, when he freely gave his life, and he, was de and he declared, it is finished at that one moment. Every devil in hell, every lying voice of Satan, every work of the enemy, the Bible says, was demolished. Your sin was paid for. Your sickness was paid for. The power of Satan was broken. That which was lost in the very beginning when Satan deceived mankind, that intimacy, that intimacy, that relationship with their heavenly father was now restored. The possibility for every person to have a personal relationship with God was real. It was real. And Jesus came to disarm and to publicly shame the devil. He also came to deliver us from Satan's dominion. 1 John chapter 3 says it like this. For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That man who was demon-possessed, that man who had no sight, could hear no sound, and was not sane in his mind, in one moment, because of Jesus, was made sane. Let me tell you today, Jesus has come to deliver. Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus loves you. You come into this place, and man, you're confused in your mind. Maybe you're struggling with a long-term addiction. You feel like there's hope. I want you to know that Jesus has come to deliver today. Come on, amen. And then Jesus came to do good. This is one of my favorite verses you actually have a Bible, if you have, your, you have the scripture open on your phone, this is a great verse to highlight. You can actually snap a picture of this verse. This is really good. Acts chapter 10, verse number 30, and the Bible says, and you know, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing what? Good. Doing what? Good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus was to do good. They brought this man who was insane to Jesus, and Jesus did good. Jesus healed him. Verse number 23, the people were blown away. They were in complete astonishment. Could this be the Messiah, the one that the prophets prophesied would come? Could this be the Savior, our Deliverer? 
Now, they had it all messed up in their thinking. They were thinking that Jesus was going to come to deliver them from Roman captivity and make the Jewish people the most powerful people on planet Earth. Jesus came not to make just the Jewish people, but Jesus came to make God's people, overcomers, victors, by his blood. Jesus came, and they recognized something in this man. He was shaking up the spiritual world, no longer rules and regulation. Now there would be a freedom to have a relationship with God. Awesome. Awesome God. But trouble was a brewing. Trouble was a brewing in Bethlehem. <laughs> he was stirring things up. The religious people, he was wrecking their world. He was wrecking their world. He, you know, the fact is the multitudes of people were now following Jesus. So church attendance started going down. And then not only the church attendance, when church attendance starts going down, then finances started going down. Their coffers started dwelling up. As a matter of fact, so much money was coming into Jesus' ministry that he had to have a man take care of it by the name of Judas. He, he was the treasure. Jesus was able to do many things, provide for 12, at least 12 men, at least 12, full time for three years. Resources were coming into his ministry. Church attendance was going down. And the men, the men, the Pharisee men, who were good guys. I mean, the Pharisees get a lot of bad press, but the fact is there were Pharisees that even got saved. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he came to Jesus in the middle of the night, and the Bible says that he got saved. But a whole bunch of them weren't getting saved. Their religious structure was being wrecked. The people weren't following them. They weren't getting the prestige and all the accolades and the honor. And so what do they do? They bring a false accusation. Look at verse number 24. And the Bible says that when the Pharisees heard this, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So here's the deal. They, they couldn't deny the miracles. They couldn't deny the healings. They couldn't deny that people's lives are being transformed and changed. They couldn't deny that. I mean, here's a guy. Here's proof in the pudding. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears open. Insane now made sane. They can't deny that. They can't deny it. But what they can do is they can demonize their enemy. This is the oldest adage for war in the history of the world. The only way that one human can actually, who is sane, who has got a moral compass and center that believes that killing is wrong, the only way that they can do that is by, in their mind, the person that they're going to kill, they have to demonize. They just have to. As a matter of fact, our Constitution was written. There were a group of people who were held as slaves. Africans that were brought here were held as slaves. The only way that sane people, only way that sane people could say that they weren't fully human, giving them two-thirds humanity, the only way they could do that is by demonizing. They're not human. They're not fully, they're not fully human. They're not like us. What did they do? They said Jesus did it by the power of Beelzebub. He has a demon. You know, the word Beelzebub is quite interesting. It's a, it's a Phoenician term. And what happened was is that the Phoenicians created lots of different gods. And, and somehow they, they would see a, a dead animal or a carcass on the ground. And, and that carcass would start to have these little white things crawling around it. They didn't know what they were. They didn't have a scientific background like we do today. And those things would start to grow up and come up out of the ground. And we know they, they are called what? Maggots. And they saw that as life. This Phoenician god Beelzebub became 
the God of dung. The God or the Lord of dung. Or the Lord that flies around a big pile of mess. He was literally the God of poop. He was the poop God. That's Beelzebub. Jesus does a miracle. Come on. He didn't need a middle institution any longer. He didn't need to beg for handouts any longer. This man has changed. And they're saying this miracle takes place because the God of poop showed up. So illogical. So convoluted. The Bible says Jesus knew their thoughts that every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Verse 26, if Satan drives out, if Satan drives out Satan by Satan, he's divided himself against himself. How can his kingdom stand? Can't do it. Can't do it. A marriage divided ends in divorce, right? A marriage divided ends in divorce. A business divided ends in failure. A church divided ends in a split. A nation divided ends in a civil war. A nation divided. I don't, I'm not a prophet. I I do have the ability to see like you see. And I can tell you what we're experiencing in our nation is not good. We're a nation divided. And we must pray. We are God's people. We can be critics and scoffers and set it in the scornful of those making judgments towards others. But God has called us as a people who are called by his name to seek his face, to turn from our wicked ways, and to call on the God of heaven to bring healing to our land. A nation divided against itself cannot stand. He confronts them in their hypocrisy. You know, it's so easy to judge other people. It's so easy, so easy to look at the failures and the faults of others and equate them with being not good enough. I mean, it's just so prevalent. Everyone has an opinion in our culture today. Everyone has the right, and we, we agree in freedom of speech. But there are consequences to speech. There are consequences to the thing that we say. Jesus says to them, listen, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by who do your people drive them out, you hypocrites? Jesus was famous. He was famous for confronting his people with the truth. The fact is, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I'd rather you were either hot or cold. And when Jesus spoke to the religious people who were comfortable in their religion, they were living a comfortable life, he would shake them up. You whitewashed sepulchers, you vipers, snakes in the ground. And you can see why they're not real happy with him at this moment. Look at verse number 28. But if by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that when the kingdom of God would come, that blinded eyes would be opened and the deaf would speak. The kingdom of God, the presence of God. The reality of God himself had come. The possibility for people to have a relationship with God had come. The kingdom, the rule of God, the authority of God. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house? Hear this today. Enter into a strong man and carry off his possession. Unless he first ties up 
the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. What Jesus was saying, there's a strong man. There's a strong man. He's, don't kid yourself. The enemy is a real live enemy. He's come to kill, still to destroy. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can bind people up. He can get them all messed up in addictions and brokenness. There is a strong man. But there is one who is greater than the strong man. And when he goes into the house, he says, I'm going to take back what the enemy has stole. I'm going to take back my prized possession. I am stronger. I am greater. Hear me today. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For the last month or so, we've given quite a few tours of the farmhouse over here. We're getting ready to remodel the farmhouse, and, and uh, so we've given some tours. And, and part of the story of the farmhouse is that the couple that built that house in 1878 and 1892, the wife, she couldn't take it any longer. I don't know what was happening. Well, she couldn't take it any longer. So she shot her husband upstairs, and then she went downstairs, and a day later, she killed herself. She, let a no- she actually left a note on the door that said, I can't stand it any longer. That's all it said. That's all the note said. As a matter of fact, that note made its way to the New York Times in 1892. And, I've, and I, don't, I don't relish in that story. It's just the reality of what happened. I've had people say, oh, man, there's ghosts in there. There ain't no ghosts in there. There ain't no ghost in there. Pastor Glenn walked in there, and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost cleaned the place right on out. Come on! Greater is He that is in you. There ain't no devil in hell that can come against you. Now, if He can lie and He can deceive, He can get you messed up. But God wants you to know who you are today. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. And when you walk into the room, they need to say, "You know what?" Uh, uh, we know who that person is. They have a relationship with Jesus. They're a Christ follower. The Spirit of God lives in them. One who is greater. One who is greater takes his possession back. You're God's prized possession today. He's greater. So let's get to it here. Verse 31 and 32. Committing the unpardonable sin. What is it? Let's look at this here. I want you to see this here. Verse 31. Jesus said, So I tell you, every kind of sin and blasphemy, read it for me. Oh, come on, let's just take a moment and have a hallelujah moment right here. Come on. Come on. Come on. I like Medea. Hallelujah. (laughs) If you haven't seen Medea, I don't know what to tell you. You need help. Every sin can be forgiven. Every sin. Every sin spoken against Jesus. Every sin spoken against Father. Every sin that you've committed. Every sin can be forgiven. But there's one that can't be. It's the blasphemy. The word blasphemy means to revile. To speak evil of. To speak evil of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin. The Holy Spirit who removes the blinders from our eyes so that we have a revelation of who Jesus is, the Savior of the world. What were they doing? They were speaking evil against God's Spirit. I worked a long time on this definition. I want you to see this definition. I want you to see this definition. 
the unpardonable sin, or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and unrepentant. This is another good one. Just get your camera up, take a picture of this so you can write it. You can save this for later. An unrepentant, hardened heart that knowingly, persistently, and verbally rejects the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus Christ as Lord. And un- here, here, this is not a one-time, this is not a one-time thing. This is not like a one-time you're angry. My cousin, I had gotten saved about, I was about 22 years old, and my cousin, God was really dealing with him at the same time, and, and I remember he told me, he said, I'm afraid I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I said, what'd you do? He said, I got really drunk one night, and I was so angry at God. I was screaming at him. I was cursing him. I was yelling at him and saying all kinds of blasphemies. But he's a Christ follower today. I said, you know, I remember then saying, no, I don't, I don't think so. The fact that you're even concerned, the fact that you even care, the, the fact that you even want to come back to God tells me you have not committed the unpardonable sin. If you're a new follower in Christ and you're really not secure in your faith, one sin doesn't cause you to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work like that. No, no. It's a conscientious, it's an unrepentant heart that knowingly and persistently and verbally rejects the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that resists Jesus Christ as king. As a matter of fact, the heart of God is exactly the opposite. The heart of God is to forgive. The emphasis here is that God forgives all sins. All sins. The prophet Micah. I wonder if you could put that screen, that verse up on the screen. Micah chapter 7. This is the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament God. This is a God that we think of a God of just, justice and judgment. No. He's always been a God of mercy. I want you to see this. Where... Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stand angry with your people forever because you delight in showing them unfailing love. He delights. When he hung on the cross, it was the love of God. It was his love. The book of Matthew, First John tells us how we can experience his forgiveness, how we can experience his love. You know this verse if you've been around church for any period of time. At some point, if you're going to experience a personal relationship with Christ, you have to publicly and personally confess him as Lord. You have to personally and publicly with your mouth declare that Jesus is the Lord of your life. John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all wrongdoing. Blessed with the Holy Spirit, an unrepentant heart. Unrepentant heart. D.L. Moody once said, I must not preach hell without tears in my eyes. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's why we're so passionate about sharing the message of Jesus. Because we recognize that there are eternal consequences. There are eternal consequences to rejecting God. There are eternal consequences. The day that you die, the Bible says you will stand before the Lord. There's a final time for every person. Every person. The day that we die, it's our fine, that's the final moment. 
And if a person doesn't bend their knee, doesn't acknowledge Christ as Lord, their separation from God is for eternity. I can't even imagine. I can't even fathom it. Another, another possibility, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come again for his church. Some have called it the rapture of the church or the second coming. If Jesus comes and your life isn't right with God, there's not another chance. I know people teach us another chance, but if you can't say yes to God now, when the Holy Spirit is working, he's present and he's active, what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves this planet and lets the earth self-destruct? person steps over the line they cross the line I'm not the judge, I don't know when that happens as a matter of fact with these Pharisees, we don't know if they've ever actually even committed the blessing of the Holy Spirit, we don't know it was a warning to them it was a warning to them I'd been saved, good, I always I like to say good saved, because I said a lot of prayers as a kid I've said a lot of prayers as a child as a matter of fact, every time the altar call was given, I got saved again Every time. You know my story. I'd get saved on Sunday. That would cover me Monday. Tuesday was a little shaky. I had to get back to church on Wednesday so I could get saved again. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that was a long stretch. Gotta get, I, got, I got saved a lot, but I, got, I had a revelation, an encounter with the real life Jesus. Rocked my world, changed my perspective. I understood who he was in a dimension that I'd never known. His love, His grace, His forgiveness was so real and so powerful. I've been in Bible college for about two years. And I came home at Christmas time and I was at a big party at my house. And there was a young man that I'd known for much of my life. And he was at the party as well and he was stoned out of his mind. Just stoned, wrecked, white. Just white. My wife was actually leading a little worship set with some of my cousins. There were maybe 15 or 20 of us in the room. We were worshiping the Lord at Christmas. It was a wonderful, sweet time. And I was talking to this young man. We were sitting on the couch. And I just asked him, how was his soul? Where is he at with God? And he looked at me and he said these words. He says, I don't care. I don't care about God. I don't want God in my life. He actually said, I told God to get off my bus. That's what he said to me. He stiff-armed. He rejected God. That's a scary place. I remember thinking, man, that is frightening. Within 30 days, within 30 days, a 26-year-old man overdosed on heroin and cocaine and went to his eternity. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know what happened to him. I pray for God's mercy. Come on, we pray. Man, with tears in our eyes. Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all come to repentance. Jesus said this because he was serious about sin. He was serious about the consequences of rejecting him. You're saved today. You are even concerned that you've committed the sin you didn't commit. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Hear me today. You're under the blood of Christ. You've been sealed. You've been redeemed. But don't get on that pathway. Don't get on that pathway that the Pharisees got on. There is a pathway that leads to destruction. Don't resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't resist them. The Holy Spirit's convicting you about something in your life. And maybe, you know, well, I don't know. No. The Bible says don't resist. There's a conviction. 
the Holy Spirit speaks here. You're the, you're the people of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. The Holy Spirit speaks to us today. He tells us when there's places of warning or danger. He warns us, stay away. Don't resist that. Don't resist that. Whew. There are people that, well, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to take care of it later. I, I'm having a good time right now, and I don't know, and got all these questions about if God's really real, and this is the real only way. And God's speaking, don't resist him. They regarded the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus as evil. Be very careful what you say. Be very careful. Be very careful about the works of Christ. Be very careful what you say about the church. Be very careful what you say when the Holy Spirit is changing people and working miracles and doing things that you don't understand. Number three, put the third one up there. They rejected the Holy Spirit's rub. They rejected, nope, no, no, go back. Nope. They rejected the Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus as their Savior. They rejected the Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus as their Savior. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 29. The Bible says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit, who bring God's mercy to us. The Holy Spirit, He convicts us, He comforts us, He changes us, He empowers us, He fills us. So what do we do with this today? So what do we do with this today? Don't resist. Don't resist. Don't resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Live with a heart that's quick to repent. Don't run from God when you find yourself in problems or struggles or brokenness or addiction or failure. Don't run from Him. Run to Him. Look at the prophet Joel says. Look at the prophet Joel. Look at the cry of the prophet today. Look what he says. This is what the Lord says. Turn to me while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. Don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't run from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Run to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Turn to God. Come on. Turn to him while there's still time. And then seek for a fresh revelation of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Seek for a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit's power. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. The Spirit of grace, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of hope, the Spirit of love, the Spirit of compassion, the Spirit of kindness. Spirit of mercy, he lives inside. Today, we need to understand the words of Paul when he wrote to the church of Ephesus. Paul said these words to the church of Ephesus. I pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power, with his power, through his spirit in your inner being. Seek a fresh revelation presence of the Holy Spirit 
want you to close your eyes. Don't resist. Don't reject. But run. My encouragement to you today. Maybe you're here today. Never accepted Christ. Maybe you've run from God. And you hear God's calling back to you. Run to me. Run to me. If you're here this morning, you know your life isn't right with the Lord. You haven't committed. The fact that you're here, the fact that you feel his stirring, you feel his conviction, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. The grace of God is available for you right now in this moment. But you know your life isn't right with him. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, in this room. Right now, see those hands. Come on, see those hands. Come on, don't miss this moment. Don't resist. The Holy Spirit is working. Hallelujah. See those hands, thank you. I want everyone to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, come on, everyone in the room, say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I confess today that I need you. I believe that you are my Savior and the forgiver of my sins. I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart that you are victor. You are my Lord. Help me this day to live for you from now on and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. There were many that raised their hand. Come on, can we welcome them today? Come on. You raised your hand. We're not quite done. Hang on. You raised your hand on our Connect card. Just fill out, just check out that little box. I'm rededicating my life or I'm committing my life to Christ today. Put your name on there. We have some people that want to talk with you, that want to get in touch with you. But the last thing is to the church to us that are in. How many of you today know in your own heart you're prone to wonder? Come on. Can we all just say amen? We all know the proneness of our heart to wonder in the path of God and to pursuing Him with all of our heart. I just believe in this moment right now that as a congregation we need to seek a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit's reality in our life. I want you to stand with me across this audience this morning. All across this audience power of the Holy Spirit that came and brought healing, worked miracles, opened blinded eyes, made the insane sane. The Holy Spirit wants to work through us. We need a fresh revelation of that today. The worship team is going to lead us in this song. And I've opened the altars this morning. I know this there are some of you that are hungry. You're hungry for fresh revelation and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to run to God today church, I want us to run. I've been praying. I've been believing God would open our hearts for a fresh revelation of who He is in our lives. This morning as the worship team begins to sing, I invite you to come and to join me right here at the altars. Come on, let's pursue God. Let's pursue a fresh revelation of who He is in our life today.